what I'm trying to show with civil affairs is that in the information domain or in the cognitive domain, we can do the same thing, but you're not rolling in in a Humvee. But those same skill sets are important. Even in the cognitive or information domain, you can do those types of civil reconnaissance, but you're doing them through open source networks. You're doing them through media and those types of things. But you know that's going to be important when we think of civil reconnaissance, not only in the physical domain, but also in the information and cognitive domain, because it's going to be important that we're able to transform and move forward. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. So uh, I'm Major General Retired Dan Ammerman. Retired in 2019. Uh, my last assignment was at U.S. Transcom as the Commander of Joint Transportation Reserve Unit. Prior to that, I uh, was a former U.S. KPOC CG from 2014 to 2017. I was also the 353 Commanding General prior to that and had a variety of civil affairs assignments from basically team leader, company commander, uh, battalion commander, brigade commander with deployments to Iraq a couple of times and to the Baltics a couple of times. What I'd like to do is spend some time here introducing our keynote speaker. Our keynote speaker is the current commander of U.S. Army Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations, Major General Jeff Coggin. He's a native of, of Tennessee. He's a bachelor's of science in agriculture. He started as a second lieutenant in the Medical Service Corps branch and uh, later transferred to civil affairs. He has a master's degree in strategic studies as well, and that's from the Army War College. Prior to being the commanding general of USA KPOC, he was deputy commanding uh, general of USA KPOC, so a lot of experience there following up after uh, Major General Guthrie. His first assignment in the Army Reserve was an environmental science officer, so he brought two civil affairs, a uh, genuine specialty in that. His, his, his assignments were uh, as the environmental science officer in Fort Stewart, also Fort Benning, and then later uh, Aberdeen Proving Ground. He came into civil affairs in 1997 as environmental science officer for the 489th Civil Affairs Battalion. He served in Bosnia under Operation Joint Forge as the uh, Civil Military Cooperation Battalion's liaison officer to USAID. So that gets a little bit to the to the uh, partnerships that civil affairs uh, works with in, in terms of getting our missions done. In 2002, he deployed to Afghanistan and he was the public health team chief for the Coalition Joint Civil Military Operations Task Force. So working with our partners there again, he was also the first coalition humanitarian liaison cell in uh, Cardez in Afghanistan. Upon his return, he was the, a detachment commander in civil affairs and deployed to Operation Iraqi Freedom, 
in 2004 and served as the uh, company commander for the 489th Civil Affairs Battalion in support of 1st Armored Division and later 1st Cavalry Division. He was also the acting battalion commander and battalion commander of the 489th and deployed to Iraq as a battalion commander of 489th, which was reflagged as the 450th Civil Affairs Battalion, and that supported 10th Mountain Division and Multinational Division South. He was a functional team chief uh, for the 352nd Civil Affairs Battalion. He commanded the 360th Civil Affairs Brigade, and he was the chief of staff of the 352 Civil Affairs Brigade, also later commanded the 321st Civil Affairs Brigade. He was a commanding general of the 350th Civil Affairs Command in Pensacola, Florida, and his awards include uh, the Legion of Merit with Merit with three Oak Lake Clusters and the Bronze Star Medal with two Oak Lake Clusters. What uh, General Coggin is going to talk to us about here this morning is uh, use KPOC in the global civil military networking in an era of strategic competition. Uh, with that, welcome General Coggin, and we're looking forward to your comments. Hey, good morning. Thank you, Major General Retired Ammerman, for the introduction and the kind words. Uh, I would also like to thank the Civil Affairs Association leaders and membership for this opportunity and invitation to speak with you today. In listening to General Ammerman, it makes me remember that I'm just about a month shy of 25 years in uh, use of KPOC in civil affairs without a break, So, but it's it's gone by fast. When considering the symposium theme for building a global civil military network to strengthen alliances and attract new partners, it requires an organizational foundation built on a broad strategic vision and having the ability and drive to empower your relationships and your partnerships. In today's dynamic operational environment of uncertainty, surrounded by challenges and adversity, it is imperative that we instill a culture that drives the civil military partnerships and information related capabilities networks to excel in the provision of world-class influence and effects. I'm glad to report that use of KPOC is alive and well in the civil affairs community. Our relationship with the civil affairs proponent is better than it has been in years. There are many initiatives that are bearing fruit and there are many discussions about the integration of civil affairs practitioners from both components and operations. We are adept at constant change and transformation. Use of KPOC is currently adapting to meet required manpower reductions that will enable the United States Army to reserve to shift billets to support requirements for the active components. Some of these adaptations include deactivation of four civil affairs battalions, the 401st, the 413th, the 414th, and the 431st civil affairs battalions. The reorganization of the remaining civil affairs battalions to mitigate the loss of capacity and increase our efficiency include consolidating the six airborne battalions under two brigades. We have an East Coast Airborne Brigade and a West Coast Airborne Brigade. Realignment of the Civil Affairs Command support to combatant and Army Service Commands due to the increased demand from U.S. Africa and U.S. European commands and a decreased demand from U.S. Central Command. We also participated last year in a detainee operations training with the 200th Military Police Command. And we are planning a displaced civilian operations training for this year, both expanding our network of partners. 
There are many challenges, both persistent and emerging, that could push our community into irrelevance. We will meet these challenges, improve our community, and our support to the Army and Joint Force. External challenges come from the Indo-Pacific region and emerging events in Ukraine. Internal challenges come from different ways to utilize civil affairs forces across the components. Lack of a recruiting pool to recruit USAR civil affairs personnel, limited numbers of qualified military governance specialists, the 38Gs, and the bureaucracy of the direct commission process. Another significant issue is our doctrine. The previous FM 357 focused heavily on combat operations and less on what we now call competition. The current FM-357, based on years, decades of experience in Afghanistan, Iraq, Philippines, and Syria, has overcorrected and is of limited use in combat operations, but more useful in competition. Civil network development and engagement and civil knowledge integration may be what is needed before and after large-scale combat operations, but we may not be fighting the next conflict like the last conflict in Syria. The current Russian attack into Ukraine highlights the need for doctrine that addresses what and how we do civil affairs in combat. Civil military operations center, civil engagement, civil reconnaissance, civil knowledge integration, support to civil administration, foreign assistance, foreign humanitarian assistance, and population resource control. How do we provide or support host government functions in conflict? The Ukrainian refugee crisis developing in Poland also highlights the need for civil military operations centers, civil reconnaissance, support to civil administration, foreign assistance, foreign humanitarian assistance, civil knowledge integration, civil network development and engagement, and civil military integration. A knowledge of how to work by, with, and through our allies' CIMIC organizations is required. That network partnership must be strong. The movement of displaced persons, along with the horrendous destruction of infrastructure and life support, and the loss of life shows us the operational environment we will operate in is austere, hazardous, and contested. In the modern age of precision munitions, we are seeing total, indiscriminate destruction by dumb and smart weapons. We must prepare for this environment. The U.S. Army must prevail in large-scale combat operations when called on to fight. To prepare, the U.S. Army trains to fight in large-scale combat, and we, the civil affairs community, also must train and prepare to fight and conduct civil affairs operations in large-scale combat. At the same time, we conduct operations across the globe in competition. To achieve both preparation for combat and performing competition, we need doctrine that supports both, is accessible to the civ all civil affairs practitioners, and is usable by operational commanders and their staff to plan multi-domain operations in support of unified action. Our doctrine will be if the best of the former is combined with the best of the current to create a spectrum of civil affairs activities that bring the required capability to the forefront based on operational needs. The new mission essential task must apply across the full scale of combat operations and support competition. Use of KPOC has other efforts to build our brand to improve networking and integration 
across the force. The conferences with the 200th Military Police Command to discuss the dislocated civilians and how our units come together to address the operational and humanitarian concerns of dislocated civilians that they create. We are reconnecting with the United States Army Special Operations Command and the 1st Special Forces Command to determine what support we can provide as operational demands increase across the globe. This partnership also includes mastering together the administrative processes involved to access and mobilize COMPO3 forces. How do we align in the future? The answer to that question is what drives me and my staff. Given the demand is growing across the globe, active component civil affairs can respond quickly, but the mass for civil affairs in the U.S. Army Reserve residing in our 38 alphas and 38 Bs, who are the global civil affairs workhorse. All of us work in any domain, be it physical, human, and informational, and achieve effects in any domain. Considering the supply and current demand of the civil affairs force, regardless of component, special operations or conventional force, we must all be interchangeable. That is where the 38 Bs and the 38 Alphas have been and continue to be a proven asset throughout the years. Every 38 B series needs to be adept, not only in the physical and human domains, but also in the information domain. We cannot afford to have a few select specializing only in the information or the human domain. That is my challenge and mandate to the practitioners in the civil affairs network. As I close, I leave you with these questions to consider. As divisions or corps become the center of gravity of U.S. Army operations, how will these future doctrine changes on the employment of Army forces affect our doctrine and medal for the employment of civil affairs battalions and brigades? How will these future changes reframe what we do for a division or a corps commander in competition or conflict. Thank you again for your time today and to the Civil Affairs Association for this opportunity. Uh, I have some time remaining now for some questions. General Coggin, got a, got a question for you. Looking for your insight in the 38 Gulf Program. I know uh, recently we had the first direct commit or yet the first direct commissioning of an officer in 38 Gulf. But can you talk about that? Yes, and thanks for that question. The um, the 38 Gulf was initiated about seven years ago, and it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a great plan and asset for us, but it's really gotten wheels in the last couple of years and in the last uh, year to recruit and bring the 38 Gs into the fold. So with the proponent, and the proponent's done great work because this has not been an easy lift, but we've been able to have a process to for direct commissions of the 38 Gs, and that's been through boards that the proponent holds. And we've had boards, you know, the initial boards for direct commissions were about a year and a half ago. But when it gets into the Army processes, and there's only two people in the HRC that process all the direct commissions for the Army. So you can imagine when the proponent pushed about 60 packets up there, it, it was uh, really uh, something. But through persistence and patience, and especially with our 38 G candidates, We've gotten the first through the processes, and we actually did the oath ceremony for the first one about two weeks ago. So the the dam is starting to break. We've got more that are coming, and this is a you know a great opportunity to start filling the ranks of the 38G and empower that program. 
And then the other great thing about the 38G is I've uh, done my KLEs and, and, and out talking to the broader community. I, I've been informing them about the 38Gs and what those capabilities are, uh, specialties. I see a lot of uh, interest there because they, you know, I let them know that, hey, we've got these specialists here. And if you've got some special mission or something going on in the world that requires that, we uh, have those within use of KPOC to provide you that uh, capability. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, Brian Hancock, uh, can you ask a question about access to uh, the Army Reserve? Thank you, sir. This is uh, Major Brian Hancock. I'm the uh, G9 of the 79th Theater Support Command aligned to uh, U.S. AFRICOM. I've had the pleasure of working with you for, for a number of years. I've seen the reductions in force over the years in, in the active and the reserve civil affairs uh, component. I think many of us are not clear how that actually increases our readiness, but I believe it's tied to a relationship that it's very challenging in complex social systems to demonstrate scientifically the return on investment that, that CA gives to the budget makers who make those decisions. One of the things that is potentially within our control to show that, that value and hopefully increase our capacity in the future is what we can do to address what we recently saw in Operations Allies Refuge, uh, a very successful mission. But it was stymied by the fact it took over two weeks to get reserve CA soldiers on orders to support that critical mission. And the Air Force and the active component uh, that, that was there at the time did not have those capabilities. So they were really looking to us. Two weeks is, is too late. What efforts are we making to integrate at, at the highest levels to get a pot of money with the right authority set aside? that we could combine with a list of ready to deploy reserve volunteers so that we can put CA forces anywhere on the ground in the world in 72 hours. That's my question, sir, over. Yeah, that's a great question. That's one we get often along with how do we access the uh, uh, reserve component civil affairs. So I'm gonna answer your question in parts there. So first, there there is a process to ac access the reserve component, but the other thing you gotta keep in mind is that uh, there are active duty Compo 1 CA assets there as well. And so, you know, basically this force come and, and the Army is request for forces come through the process and whatnot. They tend to what I've seen, especially with the OAW and things of, of late, that's who they're looking at first. What can we get, you know, from the Compo 1? So typically supporting the staff mission as well as the conventional force CA being drawn down, that's a limited asset. But at the same time, we are accessible. And depending upon what the requirement or mission is, is going to drive the Department of the Army and ForceCom on how, the speed of getting the Compo 3 uh, and use of KPOC forces there. Now, and what they did in OAW, of course, was draw from the uh, CA brigade and the CA element there that's located in Germany. I know they did a lot there. I often got that question about, hey, why in use of KPOC involved in the OAW? Why do you not have CA soldiers at Fort McCoy and the different elements? But we actually had a robust plan working through USARC and the PDSS that they did to formulate civil affairs and PSYOP support for that mission. And it just, it never got approved at the highest levels. What CA they utilized, uh, I think was somewhat limited, but it was Compo 1. But uh, the decision makers who uh, unleash us to do our work and control the forces that are input there, 
you know, it just didn't get past that point. And let me add a second part to your question. So one thing, you know, and I read the notes and the summary from the last CA symposium, and there was a paragraph in there that really caught my eye that talked about how Compo3 was hard to access, was not available when needed, and, and how do we, you know, fix that mode process. But there's, I think part of it I've found was that there was not an understanding of the process to mobilize the Compo3 and the use of KPOP forces. So it's a formal and informal process. So what I've really tried to do is some outreach and education on that process from the standpoint of, you know, who's using our forces. And so we need to have that connection with them. We need to have that relationship and communications with them. So as they're formulating what their requirement is, we're working with them informally to, to build that FTN, to determine those capabilities that they require for that. And at the same time, we're helping them to get the formal process going as it goes up with the a request for forces, the RFF that builds the FTNs, that goes up through DEA and Forcecom uh, to get those built. So that's an important piece that right there in itself in building success to access and utilize the Compo3 forces. Now, some are doing it better than others. Right now, we have a, about a, a 300 pack global requirement. We've got enduring mobilizations in uh, in AFRICOM, in Europe, as well as in Southcom AO, they figured it out and they fund it and they have the desire for it. We're working with PACOM right now. They have a, a great desire for more CA and PSYOP forces. So that's that's on the move as well. And that's one of the things that I noted in my remarks about uh, reconnecting with USASOC and first SFC. Uh, we're talking about doing the same things there. Uh, and, you know, why should they not be able to access our forces just like any other ASCC or uh, combatant command? So I'm excited about that because, yes, it, it is a, a large uh, enterprise to go through to mobilize the forces, but it doesn't have to be that intimidating. But we all have to work together uh, to make it happen. And, and then in closing on that point, I would also let you know that we have uh, ARF units, Army readiness forces that we have units that are designated that can mobilize much more quickly than others because they're, you know, they're designated to do that. So there's some processes there to do that. Thanks, Cap. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team and our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. 
We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the Global War on Terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com. LC38Brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Hi, and welcome back to the 1CA podcast. Next question, uh, Brandon Bussard, can you ask your question about training? Yes, sir. I was uh, curious if we could uh, create doctrine around training refugees or our allies and partners on how to build sustainable infrastructure and resource management platforms. And what would the benefit look like if we did that for shared environmental security? So with the doctrine question, you know, I would reserve that for the proponent, but you know, that's certainly what you're asking. There would be something within our realm of, of abilities with civil affairs to do. Thank you, sir. And I would was curious if we could establish a pilot program stateside to help with our local community and establish that protocol. We're doing what's called IRT missions about one a year where our civil affairs forces are working in local communities. It's a, a triple P public-private partnerships where uh, and the ones that we've been doing recent, most recently have been in Texas. It's been with the, in cooperation with the University of Texas A&M and uh, the local community leaders and all. It's been, been really successful. I, I think the one this year got canceled because of a funding thing, but it really is beneficial to the community, to that educational institution, in their cooperation, it's been really insta- very good training for our soldiers because it's pure civil affairs work, working in the community and doing that. And, you know, it's one of the few things we can do outside of a CTC here in, in CONUS to uh, practice and hone our civil affairs skills. Thank you, General Coggin. Nick Crawley, can you please ask your question regarding civil reconnaissance? Thank you. Yeah, it was a question around doctrinal change and what's coming sort of next as CA looks at its doctrine and how it does what it does. And, you know, there's been a huge embrace of civil reconnaissance as part of the core of the future of CA, but, you know, we haven't quite followed through yet of what that looks like and how it happens. And I'm curious sort of what's in the works now and what's being talked about when we look to professionalize, you know, how we do civil reconnaissance, because it's at the heart of a lot of different lines of effort, you know, that flow from that. Uh, If we can't get that right, it isn't clear how something like civil knowledge integration even happens. So I was just curious sort of the state of play, particularly in the KPOC field of, you know, how are we thinking about this? What does it look like? And, you know, how do we align like the, the very aggressive and encouraging investigative thrust of what CR is with some of the realities of, you know, limited access and how do we get on the ground? And you know, what does civil reconnaissance look like in Ukraine, for example, uh, or a theater like that? So thank you. Over. Hey, that's a great question. So here's, here's what I would tell you from from my standpoint and from UCK box standpoint, 
on civil reconnaissance, and then I'm sure the proponent, Scott, would have input on that too. But civil reconnaissance is still going to need to meet the same re- benefits and, and, pr- and produce the same benefits as it always has. Uh, you know, civil reconnaissance, we're going to be doing civil reconnaissance in whatever type of mission or, or uh, environment that we're in and providing that type of information uh, on the civil environment and the atmospherics and, and what we find to the commander. And so, but one thing I would tell you that I think needs to be different and that I advocate at use of KPOC. So if you heard me speak last time, I think in like October, November, a year and a half ago, I talked about our operation dominant convergence. And basically it's just a culture of working together and within use of KPOC, breaking down our stovepipes. And I, I would tell you and report to you now that that has been highly successful. And we've really, uh, we've got a CPX going on today out at Fort Leavenworth and we're actually exercising and doing an experiment of ODC. But where I'm going with this is that, you know, I always talk about when I'm out doing KLEs and externally and talking about, you know, now everything's is really a lot of discussion about information advantage, the information domain. And what I tell people is, uh, Think about what civil affairs does in the physical domain. Think about what we do. You know, that Humvee rolls into a village and they, uh, that Cat A gets out and they're doing their civil reconnaissance. They're doing their KLEs. They're doing their assessments. So what I'm trying to show with civil affairs is that in the information domain or in the cognitive domain, we can do the same thing, but you're not rolling in in the Humvee, but those same skill sets are important even in the uh, cognitive or information domain, you can do those types of civil reconnaissance, you, but you're doing them, you know, through open source networks, you're doing them through media and those types of things. But, you know, that's going to be important when we think of civil reconnaissance, not only in the physical domain, but also in the information and cognitive domain, because it's going to be important that we're able to transform and move forward and maintain our relevance. And, and so I share that with you because that's going to be an important part. And I, I would ask everyone to think about that today. What does uh, civil reconnaissance look like in the cognitive or information domain? And how do, how do we do that going forward? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Brian Hancock, you want to ask your question? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. And, and, and sorry to take so much of your time, uh, Major General Coggins, but I really appreciate the response you gave to the first question. We've recently seen a big shift at proponency from civil information management. I served uh, for three years as the SIM chief for uh, 351 under some of the folks that are on, on the line here. And they've moved to civil knowledge integration, which, you know, doctrinally we know that's further up the pyramid, right? From information, we put expert judgment, we create knowledge, which we need to win wars. So they've recognized that shift in doctrine now. We've been challenged really to do to do even good civil information management historically. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what that shift means for CA and the future of CA, as well as uh, the efforts you have going in the strategic initiatives group to help develop those new capabilities over, sir? Yeah, and Brian, I, I appreciate your second question. And, and so what I would say about the civil information management and where it's going in the new doctrine, I, I think that the current doctrine, and which is new, has really put a premium and, and a large emphasis on that area. So I think that's good because that's what's going to come to play to maintain our relevance in the information advantage 
and the multi-domain operations that we find ourselves in and going to in the future. At the same time, I think that set, sets the foundation and the groundwork in moving us forward. But as I also noted that I think it's important in my remarks is that we don't move too far to that and forget what has been our core for so many years, like a uh, CMOC, Civil Military Operations Center. I mean, that, you know, you think about wherever we're at and whatever we're doing, uh, CMOC has always been a core metal task. And I think going forward, it's always going to be that because our soldiers need to train and understand a CMOC because that's where the civilian population in the military at every level, that's what we've used to connect. So, you know, that's a key core metal task. Uh, also, the things I mentioned and, and, you know, with this Ukraine situation and we see what's going on there and just the, you know, total lethal, destructive environment. I mean, you know, networks are, were there and networking before that because the people in, in, were in place and networks will be important after that. But when you've got total destructive combat and the lethality that we're seeing now, you've got to go back to those key basic tasks that are our current metal, you know, the PRC, HA, and those things. And so, you know, those are tried and true, and, and, and no matter where or what we're doing, those are always going to be key metal tasks. So we need a good integration going forward and a doctrine that intertwines those tasks for conflict in with the competition before and after conflict. So, you know, that's what I would tell you there. Now, I know that there's a lot being done right now and we're working with the proponent on the ATNs and those pieces that support the new doctrine and how those tasks will actually do. So I don't want to get too far in the proponent's lane and let them talk those pieces, but they are developing those to better define uh, how we're going to train on those. Because hey, your question, I get that all the time because as, as this uh, new FM has come out and uh, how and, and my leaders and, and the subordinate units are seeing that, they're asking me, hey, how are we going to train to this? What are we going to do with the other? And, you know, not... I give them the use of KPOC answer, but, you know, those are things to, that have to be determined because they're not only concerned about how they're going to develop the training, but they're concerned about what it's going to do to our readiness because, you know, you've got readiness here on metal tasks that you've trained to and you're adept at. And now you're going to have totally new metal tasks and your readiness is going to go, you know, down. And we're going to have to report those on our CUSRs uh, that will go all the way up to the uh, highest levels of DA. So, that's a major concern for me and my subordinate commanders. And that's one reason I mention that uh, quite often, because I think that we took too far a shift in this FM to do what was done. So we've got to look for that happy median because uh, we've got a core set of metal tasks that will always be with us and they need to be uh, considered and incorporated in that. So I hope that, I hope that answered your question. Thank you, sir. Good copy. So, Curlin, can you ask your question regarding access to C, uh, CA forces for, for Ukraine? Yeah, unable to hear Joe, but uh, Jeff, is, his question is around what is USAKPOC currently doing in support of operations in, in Ukraine? Not necessarily physically there, but in, that, in the theater. Yeah, and so what I would share with you from that standpoint is that what we are doing is we 
are prepared to provide uh, ready and trained and professional civil affairs uh, soldiers we called upon to uh, provide those forces. Chris Stockel, can you ask your question? Sure. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jeff. Hey, uh, thanks for um, being a keynote today. Hey, so it was a little bit about what Joe had. I didn't see him in the chat there about uh, ACRC support in UCOM, obviously unclassified. What's civil affairs doing? What are they providing to the GCC, ASCC, NATO? And then a second part to that is talk a little bit about the CPXF exercise program and how it's supporting the missions that might come up, for example, in UCOM, FACOM, anywhere. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. Hey, Chris, good to see you. And thanks for that question. So what I would tell you about our forces that, you know, we we have an enduring mobilization or or deployment in support of USARA, USARAF. And so, you know, we've got soldiers that that were over there prior to Ukraine and they're supporting that UCOM AO already and, and how they utilize them. And they're doing a great job because they were already there supporting UCOM and USARAF, and they continue to do so with the uh, situation that's going on in Ukraine as well. So that's that's what I would share with you there. You know, USA KPOC soldiers are there and they're doing a great job. The uh, CPX. So we did our first CPX, USA KPOC in uh, 2015. General Ammerman was the CG, and I was actually the brigade commander to 321st. So I would tell you that that is one program and exercise that carries untold benefits for use of KPOC across the board for our civil affairs, for our PSYOP, and our IO soldiers to work and coordinate together, as well as, uh, as get some training that they wouldn't get anywhere else. And that's one reason that we do that exercise is because USART, you know, in their uh, warfighters and CPXs they run, there just wasn't uh, something that really fit for use of KPOC. So as it started out as just a CA brigade, initially now we have a CA brigade and it's in support of a, a notional corps. And then there's two battalion headquarters that participate. There's a PSYOP battalion headquarters that participates. And then we have an IOFST, which consists of about 17 packs in that. We also have PA taking part in it and our chaplains take part in it. They bring a viewpoint and a dynamic to it. So, you know, that's a big piece. And then we've, uh, this time, as I indicated, we're actually exercising an ODC element. And you say, well, why is that different from the others not already working in their working groups or whatever? But what we're trying to exercise and demonstrate is that for in the information advantage environment is that we can put together, you know, Who's going to harness? How do we harness the information-related capabilities? That I mean, that that's what uh, is really what this is all about. In being uh, dominant in the information domain, is how do you harness all of that? Because if you if you picture, it's just like a million things flying around you and past you and everywhere, and, and so it's out there. And how do you harness that uh, to provide timely information? Uh, so that the commander can make decisions faster than the, the uh, adversary can. So what that ODC element's going to do is that, you know, to be a CA, PSYOP, IO related type uh, cell that's going to work in harnessing that information. It's not a C2 thing. There's not a set structure to it. And that's one of the great things that we've done 
with our ODC and stayed out of other people's lanes is, you know, it never was about a structure or C2 or anything. It was about what is the organization that we're supporting and what are you trying to do? And then the ODC element would come in there. You know, it could be a brigade. It could be a division. It could be a, a corps or a theater army. And it, you know, that's what, you know, how that would work because, and it's really, you know, we've had some good experiences with some JWAs and, and getting this out there. And, you know, we've, there's a great competition going on in our military right now. And it's not with China, Russia, or, or Iraq, but it's within on how are we going to move forward in the future with information advantage and how to do influence and effects. And so there's a lot of things out there. And this is, you know, one of the things we're putting out there. And it's, it's a lot different from some of the things that are the other entities that are putting things out there because they're coming up with these large structures. They're coming up with C2 and, and what we're trying to do with use of KPOT and our ODC is inform on how our assets and the fact that we're a unique organization with these assets within our organization, including military intelligence, that we can provide those capabilities to help you harness that. So uh, there's some things going on I wouldn't talk about in this setting, but you know we're 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 kind of moving forward through doing and showing, which is typically what we've had to do in the civil affairs community. We've got to get out there and walk the walk, not talk the talk. So I'm excited about it. And just the culture change within our organization has been good. And the CPX has demonstrate that because we're working across our uh, branches to empower each other. And I'll close with one example of that. When I was the DCG doing uh, the AARs, I had a PSYOP captain stand up and he said, hey, you know, this was really neat. I've never worked with those guys before. And he pointed over to CA and PSYOP and he said, and, you know, and that kind of epitomizes how, you know, we can empower each other within our organization. And it's really important that we network, which we're talking about here in the Civil Affairs Association Symposium. Networking, it just empowers what we do and how we do it and what we can uh, produce. Hey, General uh, Coggin, you had mentioned earlier use of civil affairs in combat operations. Can you expand upon that a little bit more? Yeah, that, and that's a great question. And. So what I would tell you is, you know, and I've done this a lot since the Ukraine situation has occurred. You know, it's almost like being a student in a classroom, but I try to visualize what would our forces do? How would we operate if we were fighting in that theater, fighting in that environment and in that type of lethal environment? What, what would our forces do? How would our forces work? I mean, you know, a lot of it, first off, would be just surviving. But then the second part is how, how would you do the HA part of that when it's a contested environment and you might not, you can't just convoy HA in there. You just can't drop HA in there. You know, what are you doing with PRC in that type of lethal environment? And then, you know, sadly, that's an adversary there that we're seeing that is playing by no rules, no rules of war whatsoever. So, you know, that brings on how, how would we operate in that environment? So I use that as a challenge to my subordinates and all to think about, because, you know, if we were faced with that, how would you do that? So, you know, that's what we need to train to. And that's what we need to think about whenever we're planning our training for our 
our units and for our soldiers, our collective training, our individual training, because they might find themselves in that environment someday. We can read our doctrine. We can, we can think about doctrine, but now we need to apply our doctrine to that type of environment. How does our doctrine apply to that type of environment? So that's what I would, would say to that, Dan. Okay, thank you, General Kyle. Christine Kennedy, can you please ask your question? Yes, thank you. Good morning, sir. My question is, when we think about the civil affairs community and our future, as well as our strategic threats and competitors, where do you think we should focus on recruiting new people into the force? And that might be from within the existing Army community or even the civilian community. Over. Yeah, hey, Christine, thanks for that that question. I'm going to give you an easy answer on that. We need to recruit everywhere. Anytime we can get someone from the military community, we need to get new accessions. Uh, I would recruit everywhere. That fishbowl is large right there. Okay, thanks, General Coggin. Uh, Doug Jordan, can you ask your question, please? Hi, sir. Uh, Excellent keynote. One of the things we're struggling with at Joint Special Operations University is in this competition environment, ensuring that we're always thinking combined and joint. Can you talk a little bit about maybe your your training philosophy for looking at combined and joint opportunities over? Yeah, Doug, I appreciate that question because, you know, that comes up sometimes in our conversations is when the Army doctrine uh, is getting developed, how is it synced? Was it synced within the combined and joint? And that's that's very important. And then when we take and look at our training, you know, how are we training so that we can function in a combined and joint environment? Because that's that's very important, because if we get into a large scale combat operation, you know, we're going to find ourselves doing that. So that's that's an important point that you make and and one that we need to continue to emphasize that we consider the combined and joint environment because we're going to have to function and operate in that and our, is our doctrine, is our medal, is our training that we're doing at every level uh, considering that. General Coggin, any, uh, any closing, uh, closing remarks? Well, again, I'd just like to thank the uh, association for the opportunity to speak with you here today. Uh, I've really enjoyed having the opportunity and, and sharing what we're doing at USA K-POP. I also want to thank you for uh, and everyone that's participating here today for, for what you're doing, because as I said, I think it's important that we get outside of our organizations because it empowers what each of us do and we're stronger by doing so. And I'd also like to thank everyone that asked questions today. Great questions. And uh, I think you invoked a lot of good dialogue and, and thought there. And uh, uh, I hope uh, some of the points that I uh, provided to you today uh, will invoke some thought for you as well. So again, thank you and, and have a good rest of the symposium. And I look forward to seeing y'all in the future. Thank you very much, John Hagen. Really appreciate your insights and uh, participation in, in this conference. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. 
Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the Global War on Terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. <laughs>